Welcome to Everything Yesterday This Morning, a 15 to 20 minute daily recap of headlines you may have missed. Come for the news, stay for the snarky commentary. Good morning and welcome to Wednesday's edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I am your host, literally Heather. The University of Florida withdrew a scholarship offer for Nice High School quarterback Marcus Stokes on Sunday after he posted a video on social media of him rapping along to a song that used a racial slur. Stokes can be seen in the car in the now-deleted video saying, quote, Welcome back, followed by the slur. Stokes previously committed to playing college football for the Gators in July. Shortly after Florida pulled their scholarship offer, Stokes posted a statement on his Twitter account apologizing for the slur. I deeply apologize for the words in the song that I chose to say, read part of his statement. I fully accept the consequences for my actions, and I respect the University of Florida's decision to withdraw my scholarship offer to play football. Stokes is rated as a four-star recruit. He previously had been committed to Penn State earlier in the recruiting process before changing his mind and choosing the Gators. Florida does have another quarterback recruit ready for next season. Earlier in November, another top high school quarterback, Jaden Rashada, flipped his commitment from Miami to Florida. So I just want to be sure that we understand what's going on here. This young man was in a car rapping along to a song, a song written by someone else, produced by someone else, published by someone else for the listening pleasure of whomever pays for the content, contains a racial slur that he is singing along with. The video has been deleted, an apology has been issued, but this resulted in him losing his scholarship? Does the punishment fit the crime? The words were not even his own. He was literally singing a song. Why does the song contain the word if it's so verboten to sing along with it? As a free speech absolutist, this story lights a fire inside me that I cannot even begin to contain. Florida should be ashamed of themselves. The Florida Gators had the most athletes as criminal suspects from 2009 to 2014. An outside-the-lines investigation of 10 major football and men's basketball programs found that the University of Florida had the most athletes 80 of them, or 24% of their roster, named as suspects in more than 100 crimes from 2009 to 2014. But, along with having the most athletes involved in alleged crimes, Florida also had the most repeat offenders. 25 Florida athletes had multiple run-ins with police, often without facing charges or any public airing of what they did. Several police reports gathered by Outside the Lines also revealed that Florida athletes, if not suspected of criminal activity themselves, often hung out with people who were known offenders. But yeah, please wash over me with your righteous indignation that this poor boy was caught on video singing along to a fucking song. (sighs) The share of Americans supporting stricter gun laws has fallen 9 percentage points since June, according to a new Gallup poll. The poll released on Monday found 57% of U.S. adults desired stricter gun laws compared to 66% in June, following high-profile mass shootings at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, and a supermarket in Buffalo, New York. 
The latest poll was taken before recent shootings at the University of Virginia and a Colorado Springs nightclub, both of which have gained significant national attention. Another 32% of respondents indicated that gun laws should be kept as they are. 10% wanted to see gun laws made less strict. Uh, I am the 10%. Gallup has surveyed the national mood toward gun laws since 1990 when it recorded a record high of 78% of Americans for stricter gun laws. Uh, Although the measure has fallen in recent months, it remains well above the record low of 43% in October of 2011. And the share who supported stricter gun laws one year ago, Gallup's newest survey, like those taken in the past, found support for stricter gun laws varied based on partisanship. 86% of Democrats, 60% of independents, and 27% of Republicans said that they want stricter gun laws in the newest survey. 86%. It's a huge number. Support among each of these three groups has fallen since June, with the largest drop 11 percentage points among Republicans. In the wake of the Uvalde and Buffalo mass shootings, lawmakers passed a bipartisan gun law that included provisions to strengthen background checks for firearm purchasers under the age of 21, provide funding for states to implement red flag laws, and crack down on straw purchases, among others. Those straw purchases, let's make sure that Eric Holder is not involved with that. The bill had gotten unanimous support from Democratic lawmakers, as well as 14 House Republicans and 15 Senate Republicans, including Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. The Gallup survey was conducted between October 3rd and October 23rd through telephone interviews with 1,009 U.S. adults. I cannot believe there are that many people who support stricter gun control. Uh, Give me those snack machines, but we'll call them gap machines. Um, The House of Representatives voted Friday to approve legislation that would decriminalize marijuana at the federal level and remove criminal penalties for certain cannabis-related offenses by a vote of 220 to 204. Three Republicans, Tom McClinic, Brian Mast, and Matt Gates, all joined the Democrats in voting for the legislation. The Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act, known as the MORE Act, I hate, I hate it when they do that, would remove the marijuana from the controlled substances list, leaving it up to states to set their own laws. It would also release people incarcerated on cannabis-related offenses of less than 30 grams and expunge criminal penalties associated with those who manufacture, distribute, and possess it. The House also included two amendments to the bill that authorizes $10 million for the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to study technologies for law enforcement officials to use in determining whether a driver is impaired by marijuana, and a federal study on the impact of marijuana legalization in the workplace. Of course they did. How could they ever pass a piece of legislation without including taxpayer dollars in it? There's so many discussions that have gone on over the years about the use of marijuana or cannabis, or whatever. The fact is, it exists. It's being used. We've got to address how to how it is treated legally, Nancy Pelosi said during her weekly press conference. 
Congress has tried unsuccessfully to pass this type of legislation before. The House passed a version of the same bill in December of 2020, but it was stalled in the Senate because then-Majority Leader Mitch McConnell never brought it to the floor. The legislation is an attempt to reverse the harmful effects stemming from the War on Drugs, a global campaign started in the 1970s by former President Richard Nixon, with the stated goal of eliminating illegal drug use and trade in the United States. When former President Ronald Reagan took office, he substantially increased the scope of the drug war to focus on criminal punishment rather than rehabilitation and treatment. That drastically increased the number of incarcerated nonviolent drug offenders with a disproportionate impact on communities of color. More than anything else, the MORE Act is about ending and reversing decades of failed federal policy that has taken a heavy toll on too many people across this country with a disproportionate impact on communities of color, Jerry Nadler, who authored the bill, said in a statement to ABC News. In an effort to help restore resources to communities adversely impacted by the war on drugs, the bill also creates a Cannabis Justice Office, charged with establishing and carrying out the Community Reinvestment Grant Program. More money. The program would provide legal aid in civil and criminal cases, job training and health education programs, among other community initiatives. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who vowed to make marijuana legislation a priority, is working on a separate bill with Senator Ron Wyden and Cory Booker that is expected to be introduced in April, but would need all Democrats and at least 10 Republicans to pass the Senate. The roadblocks remain for federal decriminalization 18 states, along with Washington, D.C., have legalized recreational marijuana, and 37 states have legalized medical marijuana. The Supreme Court on Tuesday cleared the way for imminent handover of former President Donald Trump's tax returns to a congressional committee after a three-year legal fight. The court, with no noted dissents, rejected Trump's plea for an order that would have prevented the Treasury Department from giving six years of tax returns for Trump and some of his businesses to the Democratic-controlled House Ways and Means Committee. Alone, among recent presidents, Trump refused to release his tax returns either during his successful 2016 campaign or his four years in the White House, citing what he said was an ongoing audit by the IRS. Last week, Trump announced he would run again in 2024. It was the former president's second loss at the Supreme Court in as many months and the third this year. In October, the court refused to step into the legal fight surrounding the FBI search of his Florida estate that turned up classified documents. It's quite wild, isn't it, that the government has worked so hard to comb through Donald Trump's finances and really every aspect of his life. But miraculously, politicians who enter public servitude and end up wildly wealthy, (coughs) Barack Obama, Richard Burr, Nancy Pelosi, Dianne Feinstein, Kelly Loeffler, Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, (coughs) never seem to experience such scrutiny. If I recall, Donald Trump entered office wealthier than he left it. He also donated his presidential salary to various charities during his presidency, I'm assuming that tradition, like the tradition of releasing your tax returns, 
A foregoing American taxpayer dollars is a tradition that's being followed now, right? I'm sorry. I care as little about Donald Trump's tax returns as I do about the January 6th committee. In January, the court refused to stop the National Archives from turning over documents to the House Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Justice Clarence Thomas was the only vote in Trump's favor. In the dispute over his tax returns, the Treasury Department had refused to provide the records during Trump's presidency, but the Biden administration said federal law is clear and that the committee has the right to examine any taxpayer's return including the president's. Lower courts agreed that the committee has broad authority to obtain tax returns and rejected Trump's claims that it was overstepping and only wanted the documents so they could be made public. Chief Justice John Roberts imposed a temporary freeze on November 1st to allow the court to weigh the legal issues raised by Trump's lawyers and the counter arguments of the administration and the House of Representatives. Just over three weeks later, the court lifted Roberts' order without comment. Rep. Richard Neal, the committee chairman until the next Congress begins in January, said in a statement that his committee will now conduct the oversight that we've sought for the last three and a half years. In a message on his social media network, Trump said the Supreme Court's action created, quote, terrible precedent for future presidents. He accused the court of becoming nothing more than a political body with our country paying the price. He also said, why would anybody be surprised that the Supreme Court has ruled against me? They always do. The House contended an order preventing the IRS from providing the tax returns would leave lawmakers little or no time to complete their legislative work during this Congress, which is quickly approaching its end. Had Trump persuaded the nation's highest court to intervene, he could have run out the clock on the committee. With Republicans ready to take control of the House in January, they almost certainly would have dropped the records request if the issue had not been resolved by then. Good news for fans of The Goonies. The old Victorian home featured in the film is on sale in Astoria, Oregon, and potential buyers are considering making it more accessible to the public. We have a few interested parties right now, said realtor Jordan Miller, the listing agent for the property. It seems to be everybody's intention to be able to open up the house a little bit more and have more access. The 1896 home, with sweeping views of the Columbia River flowing into the Pacific Ocean, has been listed with an asking price of $1.7 million on Zillow, where it's described as fully loaded with history, nostalgia, and iconic levels of fame. Since the movie hit theaters in 1985, fans have flocked to the home in northwestern Oregon's historic part of Astoria. The city celebrates Goonies Day on June 7th, the film's release date, and welcomes thousands of people for the event. Could you imagine some Gen Z purchasing this house and wondering why people keep stopping by and taking pictures all the time because they've never seen the movie. (laughs) Owner Sandy Preston was known to have been largely welcoming to visitors, but she lived in the house full time and the constant crowds were a strain that prompted her at times to close it off to foot traffic. After the film's 30th anniversary drew about 1,500 daily visitors in 2015, Preston posted a no trespassing sign 
prohibiting tourists from walking up to the property. She reopened it to the public this past August. City officials who restricted parking in the area have long sought to mediate the tensions between residents and the fans, hoping to see and photograph the location. While the owner of this location from the Goonies is a fan of the movie and enjoys chatting with visitors, making the trek to Astoria to see the film locations, as you can imagine, it gets hard having hundreds of people crowding into your personal space every single day. The Astoria Warrington Chamber of Commerce wrote in August on a Facebook page that they administer called Goonies Day in Astoria, Oregon. For now, potential buyers of the iconic Goonies house don't seem to want to make the house their primary residence, said listing agent Miller, suggesting it has drawn interest from people who want to make it their passion. It's kind of a fun buy. Whoever buys the house is going to have a relatively steady stream of extremely happy people walking up outside to fulfill their childhood dreams. Not to mention, it's a financial resource. If you turn it into, instead of it being a home, you can turn it into a tourist location and make money off of it. All day. Okay, that is your Wednesday edition of Everything Yesterday This Morning. I really appreciate you guys hanging out with me. I want to really quickly say, um, I'm going to try to do a Thursday morning episode. I don't know if it will happen yet or not. Um, but if I don't, I do want to say thank you. Thank you to all of my listeners. Thank you to all of my supporters, everyone who has been there, uh, from the beginning and, and is still there with me now. I don't know why you put up with me, but, um, I am incredibly grateful for the opportunity to come to you guys every day and, and hang out and, and be snarky and, and give my commentary and that you still listen to me. So Thank you so much for for all of that and all of your support. I hope you guys have a very happy Thanksgiving if I don't come to you tomorrow. Um, And enjoy your time with your family. You guys take care and have a wonderful day. If you like today's show, be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss an episode. Also, please don't forget to check out shouseinthehouse.com and never forget that free men do not need permission from any government. Have a great day.